Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. Scratch. <laughs> Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 351, coming to you on Monday, December 16th. We are going to put a big fat bow on the decade of the 2010s. This is our all-decade episode. We're going to put together an all-decade team for the Trojans, talk about all-decade superlatives, and so much more about this crazy, crazy, crazy decade for USC football. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansider.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are putting together an all-decade episode here as we get to the end of the decade, uh, even though I guess you could argue that 2020 is still part of this decade. Uh, we're not including it. But uh, it's kind of convenient because... USC is returning to the practice field. They're returning to the practice field on Friday, actually, but no media availability until tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, the only media availability this week, uh, which means, Alicia, we have no news to talk about. So it kind of works out nicely that we can uh, talk about this wild and crazy kind of decade that USC has put together. Well, and we need all the time we can get to talk about this decade because it has been pretty insane like i mean you could make the argument that the decade before this decade was uh, you know it's probably not usc's best decade ever but it's pretty damn close and this past decade you could make the argument has been usc's wildest decade ever like granted i wasn't around in the in the 70s or the 80s or i mean the the 90s 50s were pretty bad scandal-ridden 50s the scandal-ridden 50s the 40s were certainly chaotic uh, because every other day someone was getting called up to, you know, military service or signing up for military service. So the 40s are certainly interesting. Yeah. Um, but at the very least, at the very least, this this past decade has been kind of bananas when, when you think about it. And I mean, we were thinking about it, trying to put together some of these superlatives. And I just kept like my mind kept like bouncing around to like, oh, my gosh, like I totally forgot about this thing and this thing and this thing. And I know there are other big things that I'm forgetting about, too, when we're discussing some of the crazier things that have happened. So, like I said, it's just, it's been bananas. And and I don't know that any other school in the country, any other program in the country has gone through the decade that USC has. Others have been more successful. Others have been uh, less, you know, worse off in terms of wins and losses. 
but man, I don't know that anyone has, has had the the combination of wild things happening on the field, off the field, great players, uh, huge, you know, missteps, ups and downs, the roller coaster, the random madness in in coaching and and all sorts of other things administration scandal uh you know everything it's it's literally had everything yeah scandals triumphs tribulations everything for usc uh this decade so much to talk about in this episode and so much to talk about with you guys because we are going to have a meetup alicia before the holiday bowl on december 26th boxing day 6 p.m We'll be at the local eatery and watering hole on 4th Avenue in downtown San Diego, uh, 6 p.m. That's where we're going to be. It's going to be a fun time, I would think. Uh, A lot of USC fans have a lot of opinions about the Trojans right now. uh, And so we're excited to see some Rotbots talk about USC football uh, and uh, allow people to vent or distract themselves or whatever it is that they got to do. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm this is basically the only thing I'm looking forward to when it comes to this bowl. So, uh, you know, meeting up, hanging out with the Rotbots is definitely going to be the highlight of San Diego uh, because I don't have high hopes for the actual bowl game. Well, it's Iowa, and that's not a knock on Iowa. It's just mostly like games with Iowa are not the exciting Big 12 bad games that you think of that, if nothing else, could be super entertaining. Uh, this might be a defensive struggle. So, Big yeah. 12 bad and you got Big 10 bad. Big Ten bad is not what I am interested in. <laughs> no, we we will see. Hey, wouldn't it be crazy if this was like a shootout, an absolute? And the USC barn Nebraska game in 2014 was what? That was 40? a shootout. Yeah, yeah. So, so It'd I don't know. Fun. We've seen it be fun. go both ways. Yeah. Uh, speaking of shootouts, can we talk about the barn burner that was the Reign of Troy Pick'em League this year? Wow. Every single week we were looking at it and nobody was wanting to, to run away with it. Alicia, we have a tie for first place between out-of-state Trojan fan and Kangaroo 30. Each finished with a record of 181 and 118. Fantastic on picks. Uh, right behind them, one game back, scantily clad Peristyle and the Labrantar Pitbulls at 180 and 119. One game behind them, was skateboard times LB at 179 and 120. Everything was super, 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 super close. And I, I feel bad for, for Warhop Way, who finished 20th. I, I was looking at it. Warhop Way missed picks on Rivalry Week, the, the week of the UCLA game. All Warhop Way needed to do was get 12 points, uh, which was a very average score that week, and they would have won. Warhop Way finished with a record of 170 and 129, 11 games wow. back. Putting Warhop way on blast. I know. And jeez, uh, I would like to take a moment to appreciate some of the names that are in the top twenty of this. Uh, shout out to L.A. Fred at number six. Shout out to Free Reggie at number seven. Uh, Helton Endgame at number eight is fun. The real DJ Malski at number ten, and my personal favorite, John Baxter's ten man PAT team at number eleven. That's more your favorite than scantily clad peristyle because I feel like scantily clad peristyle is. The I mean, one. that's that's scantily, the name. Scantily clad peristyle is in the Hall of Fame of great uh, fantasy pick'em names, but I gotta yeah, say, name, John Baxter's ten man PAT team uh, is 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 pretty much up there. Um, and I do appreciate Juju's bike <laughs> shop coming in at sixteenth 
yeah. Good name. I can't really dog you for being 16th because I certainly wasn't <laughs> anywhere near yeah, but 16th. Both of us completely bombed uh, by just forgetting to make our picks. Yeah. So credit credit to you know these guys at the top who had the the wherewithal to make their picks every single week. Uh, we, we we tip our cap to you. So congratulations, uh, out of state Trojan fan and Kangaroo thirty tying at one eighty one. Uh solid, solid, excellent. We'll see what happens next year when we put together uh, another pick and leak. So that'll be fun. Uh, Alicia, let's get into this episode. Talk about the decade, huh? We'll be right back and uh, get right to it. All right, Alicia, let's talk about this decade, the 2010s, all buttoned up. And we're doing the buttoning. Uh, it has been a a decade in which USC was very, very, very medium. Um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people say that this is, you know, the worst decade of USC football. That is not true. One hundred percent inaccurate. Uh, the the nineties the were, were were not nearly as good as the twenty tens. The problem with the twenty tens was really the decade before, right? Uh the two thousands were so good, so dominant for USC, arguably USC's best decade ever, along with the seventies and the thirties. Such a dominant, great decade for the Trojans. They couldn't possibly live up to that, and they certainly did not in the 2010s with one conference championship, one Rose Bowl appearance, one Rose Bowl win. Um, but save for one year, they were over 500. Uh, they had to deal with, with crippling NCAA sanctions that they dealt with masterfully. Um, kudos to Lane Kiffin for, for and Steve Sarkeesian for getting through those, uh, mostly Lane Kiffin for that. And, you know, this could have been so much worse for USC, and it wasn't. The problem as a whole with this decade is that it was an entire decade of what if. What if Clay Helton starts Sam Darnold uh, in week one against Alabama? What if uh, Hayes Pillard doesn't try to fair catch the jail Mary? What if USC doesn't fall flat on their face uh, against Boston College? What if uh, they weren't? They didn't have a bowl ban in 2011. What if this? What if that? And you end up in a situation. Where, what if Keaton Slovis didn't throw three picks uh, against Oregon or against BYU? Right. Every single year had a what if moment, and that left a lot of people wanting more. Especially when this was a program led by a administration uh, that could not have a worse. Uh, approval rating from from top to bottom from the beginning literally everybody in this in this administration uh mike garrett left usc with low approval ratings right you would think and then pat hayden took it down a peg lynn swan took it down a peg uh and certainly at this point right now Mike Bone doesn't have too many fans as USC's athletic director. Yeah, and doesn't that uh, pretty much highlight the entire story of the decade? It's just been one big mismanagement fest from USC. And I think that uh, that's the thing that people lose sight of a lot, is that on the football field, there have actually been a lot of triumphs, a lot more triumphs than you'd think, given the mood of the of the program coming out of this decade. The problem is that the missteps at the top have been so clearly huge 
that it sort of colors everything else. And, you know, I've been talking with you and with the Rotbots on, on the Rot Crew and, and in other places, uh, the THT group, everything like that. My big sliding doors moment for USC this decade is the firing of Lane Kiffin. Because I think that um, if Lane Kiffin isn't fired, isn't tarmacked after the ASU game, then he probably goes on to lead USC to a very similar record to the one that Ed Orgeron led them to by the end of that season. Yeah. Potentially winning, potentially saving his job. Um, If he comes back the next year, then Steve Sarkeesian is sort of kept at UW and either starts to falter at UW or gets picked up by somebody else at some point. And I think Lane Kiffin probably holds on for another two, three years before he's ultimately uh, let go for not being able to then pull away in the in the post sanctions era. He would but, have had Juju and Adori. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to imagine he and his staff would have been able to recruit at least as well as Sarks did. And if you don't end up hiring Sark, then you don't have to then fire Sark the way that USC ends up firing Sark, and that spirals everything into a whole other. Uh, direction where, you know, Clay Hilton probably isn't even ever considered head coaching material by USC or anyone but Memphis. Is is Ed Ogeron. Uh, you can make the case that if yeah. Ed Ogeron doesn't... Ed Ogeron was the, o- is the only reason he's the head coach at LSU right now is because of the success he had as an, as an interim at USC. Yes. Uh, that Twice. made him I a mean- good appointment as an interim. He, he kind of proved himself to be a, an interim guru. Uh, because he's he's great for that in that he's going to let the coaches coach, let the players play, uh, and just kind of be very hands-off with things, say, for recruiting, which makes him an ideal interim coach. And it worked for USC. It worked for LSU. LSU doesn't appoint him as the interim coach if not for USC. And does he even leave USC if, if Lane Kiffin is still around? Like, who knows? Everything changes. Also, what yeah. happens if... Lane Kiffin is fired after the 2012 debacle, after the Sun Bowl. What happens then? Uh, Ed Ogeron never becomes the interim head coach. I don't think SC goes after Sark in 2012 because he Sark needed 2013. 2013 was a very good year for Sark. He kind of completely changed his offensive identity, and it was the second year in which he had Justin Wilcox, who had completely fixed the mess left by Nick Holt up at Washington, right? So... Yeah, we can talk about Seven Win Sark, but Seven Win Sark was like 2010, 2011, uh, 2012 before the, he redid the offense. There were reasons to buy into Sark. He still should not have been USC's pick uh, by Pat Hayden in, in 2013, but by 2012, he certainly wouldn't have been. At least he should not have been. So if Lane Kiffin is fired after the Sun Bowl, it's probably Jack Del Rio, right? Like, who else would it have been? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but it certainly spins the program in a totally different direction because it it doesn't then fall into this pattern of hiring former Pete Carroll assistants. I mean, I guess you could have figured out other Pete Carroll assistants to go after, but the two big ones were definitely Sark and and Kiffin. So if you adjust that whole thing, then we're looking at an entirely different, uh, uh you know, story for for the decade. But like that, I mean, that goes, I, I go back to um, that moment as as the big moment. And then obviously the other sliding doors moment is, you know, choosing to hire Sark over at Orgeron, which is now the big moment. Although I think you and I both agree the right answer would have been to hire neither. 
yeah, the right answer at sure. the time. And this is the thing that I think people need to um, accept is that I mean, this is the thing I always said about Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll was only Pete Carroll at USC because he failed because he got fired from the Patriots and had to rethink himself and to land in the right spot at the right time. And I think for Ed Orgeron, the success that he's having with LSU is him landing in the right spot at the right time. I think he needed to uh, be passed over at USC. I think he needed to land at LSU. I think he needed to work under less miles and he needed to to go through this the process that he went through in order to come out on the other side the way that he he has. And that's the the big sliding doors moment for for USC. I don't know that that turns out any I mean, I think it probably turns out better for USC because again, avoiding hiring Sark is a net positive just because we know what happens with him as far as the the personal life stuff. Um so it's a net positive, but I don't think like I don't think we're in a very different position now under at Orgeron than, you know, than USC is currently, which is to say very medium, um, not yeah. a national title contender because that's not what USC. But then again, OK, so here's the here's the other things happen for a reason. Right. If we go back and do all the what ifs for this this decade, um, does USC continue to flounder with the same people in charge of the athletic pro- program? Like, I don't know. I guess maybe the Varsity Blues scandal is going to force somebody's hand no matter what. But, like, at the right. very least, as much as people don't like Mike Bone, at the very least, we are seeing USC's athletic department start to transition under new, new leadership with potentially They're new ideas. They're still making the maybe. same decisions, though. Uh, making the same decisions. Yeah. The BOT still has their hands in everything, right? And, yeah. And the other thing is, Pat Hayden's health uh, was the reason that he stepped away. Uh, he wasn't fired. So That's like true. that would have you would think would have in this what if scenario would have would have still been there. The other thing is I, I've said it before. I, I think SC was mostly on the same level throughout the mo- much of the decade. Uh, there there were seasons where they put stuff together and they won the close games, uh, and there was like 2017 they won all the close games in 2017. There were seasons in which they lost all the close games, like 2018, and they go five and seven. Right? There were seasons in which they won the games that they should have won. 2016, all those bad teams that they played, Oregon and and UCLA and Notre Dame in November, all those four and eight, three and nine teams. They won all those games, right? They easily could have lost those when you compare it to the 2014 team, who lost to Boston College. In 2013 lost to to Washington State. And 2011 lost to ASU, and and 2012 lost to to Stanford, uh, led by Josh Nunes, right? Like so, th- this was a a program that has shown that they can lose games that they shouldn't lose, uh, and then they show that they can win those games, and then they've shown that they can win close games and then lose close games. Everything kind of comes back to the word medium for me, uh, where there's highs and there's lows, uh, and, and there's every possibility in there, which kind of defines the decade here. But let's get into these superlatives, shall we? Let's do it. All right. We're going to start with wildest storyline of the decade. We're going straight into this, jumping right into there the deep end. There were a lot of options so for many. this, by the so way. Many. Am I going to start? You, yeah, you, you take it. Okay. For me... T- take the low-hanging fruit here. For me, as soon as I saw this faith, superlative, there were only two words... Two words, eight characters necessary to describe the wildest well, storyline. Nine, if you're including the space. Well, okay, fine, whatever. 
Josh <laughs> Shaw. Yeah. And Josh Shaw, by the way, ends the decade as the gift that keeps on giving, if you haven't heard. <laughs> so if you'd forgotten, Josh Shaw, USC defensive back, um, it gets reported that uh, he suffered ankle injuries while jumping, leaping from a second story balcony down into the courtyard to rescue his uh, nephew or cousin or some, you know, a child from a pool. He jumps off of the balcony to go into the pool to rescue the drowning child. And he is painted as this hero. I remember at the time going like, man, what a like what a badass Josh Shaw is and all this kind of stuff. And it was just like incredible, incredible, incredible stuff. And then the little a, a day later, the story gets retracted. And then like a day later after that, we find out that he jumped off of the was it the like. The Medici story and a half. The, uh, it was the Orsini. The Orsini. Uh, there you go. Which, if you ever go and look at the Orsini, you can see where he jumped. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's like it's a second story, but it's really like a third story, kind of the way the road yeah. kind of has a little dip uh, right there at the end of Fig and uh, and Cesar Chavez, and <laughs> he jumps off the the balcony uh, has double high ankle sprains on both of his ankles. And there's a panic of like, was this a criminal thing? Like, was it a robbery? Was it this? Was it that? It ends up being nothing. Uh, nothing criminal. Uh, we never learn the details. Just rumors well, of we, what it could have been. We and, know that the police. We know that he was fleeing the police, but it wasn't like it, it wasn't anything that ultimately led to charges. Right. But it takes them two months to figure that out, and he's suspended indefinitely. Until yep. they figure it out. So it goes, it literally goes overnight from hero Josh Shaw to the trickle of, wait, this might not be what we think it is, to, oh my God, Josh Shaw, what, like he's a national laughing stock. USC feels the need to suspend him because the whole thing is a mess. USC right. really needs him, by the way, that season. Like it really would have helped having Josh Shaw in the secondary because they were low on numbers there. And then he's ultimately cleared for the end of the season and goes on to play in the NFL and goes on to be an actually productive pro until 2019. He closes out the decade by being suspended by the NFL for the rest of this season and all of next season for gambling on football. On his own team. On his own team. Betting against his own team while he was on IR with the Arizona Cardinals. So It's just really... So, yeah, no words. I thought the wildest storyline of the decade uh, ended years ago, but apparently it still has legs because Josh (laughs) Shaw still has legs, even if he's sprained his ankles. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's a great pick for the wildest storyline of the decade. I am going to pick a slightly different one. The Cliff Kingsbury era at USC. 35 days officially. (laughs) Um, there was more time before and after, certainly in terms of the the prelude and the fallout to that. Uh, USC fires or, or Clay Helton fires T. Martin, needs to look for a new offensive coordinator after going five and seven in 2018, and they finally, for the first time ever, in well seemingly forever, USC goes out and gets the big fish. They go out and get Cliff Kingsbury, the just fired head coach. 
at Texas Tech. He's going to bring the air raid and bring some offensive competence to USC. This is the best uh, assistant hire since Pete Carroll brought in Norm Chow in 2001. This is going to be incredible. What's it going to mean for JT Daniels? What's it going to mean for all those wide receivers? And then all of a sudden, rumors. Well, you know what? The NFL has like this weird lust for Sean McVay. And Cliff Kingsbury is a friend of Sean McVay's. Uh, and they kind of work together as an, you know, he, he helped out the Rams a little bit. And, you know, Sean McVay's really good. Uh, let's get him a head coaching job. And lo and behold, 35 days after being USC's offensive coordinator, he goes to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and that's where he's been. Uh, they've lost a bunch of games at the end of the season, but I don't think there's anybody who has high expectations for him uh, in the NFL. But USC loses him. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury tells Clay Helton, go out and get Graham Harrell, another former Texas Tech quarterback. Uh, USC does that and does have success under Graham Harrell, but probably not the amount of success they would have had with uh, Cliff Kingsbury. The craziest part of that story is I suppose the craziest part is that USC actually went out and got him. They got USC got burned for doing everything right. For doing everything right. The second with the craziest, exception, the exception of the the, of buyout. the one hundred and fifty thousand dollar buyout. Yes. So that's the <laughs> yeah. second craziest part of the story. The first craziest part of the story is Cliff Kingsbury was a failed head coach at Texas Tech with an under five hundred record in his college coaching career, and the Arizona freaking Cardinals decided that and and I think the Jets were after him too but like multiple NFL franchises were considering him as their head coach like having a losing record in the Big 12 and being fired by Texas Tech made Cliff Kingsbury qualified to be an NFL head coach that is the most ridiculous like there were people I remember actually even this year people have been talking about how like um USC should have just made Cliff Kingsbury the head coach, uh, you know, last year. And it was like, yeah, but uh, Cliff Kingsbury would have been a terrible head coaching hire for USC. He got like, fired from his alma mater. From his, I mean, yeah. That's so the crazy, I still can't get over. I still can't. The damn, it all comes back to the Arizona freaking Cardinals. Um, I just, I can't, I can't. It's just, and then, you know, the Arizona Cardinals mistreating Josh Rosen. Yeah, uh, like everything. <laughs> the then they go out thing. and get Kyler. Can, like none of it made sense. Can I propose a honorable mention for this oh, wild story? I've got an honorable mention. I was going to drop. What's yours? Okay, I'm going to drop just just this really quick, really quick. Brew McCoy. Oh, Brew I was going to say Bo Davis. Bo Davis. Yeah, remember Bo Davis? Go, go ahead with oh, Brew McCoy. Then I'll get okay. into Bo Davis. Okay, Brew McCoy, USC. He's the lock for USC until late in the recruiting process. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, Texas might get him. Texas might get him. And then USC hires Cliff Kingsbury, and immediately they they then get Brew McCoy, and then Cliff Kingsbury leaves for the NFL, and then Brew McCoy is apparently talking to Texas, and all of a sudden, like a week later, Brew McCoy is we're hearing, you know, rumors that Brew McCoy wants to transfer, and we're just like, what? And then Brew McCoy enrolls at USC, so then we're like, okay, so he's probably going to stick around. And then a week later, Brew McCoy's transferring to Texas. And then all spring, it's like, what the hell happened? And is he going to be eligible to play for Texas? And then you hear murmurings later on in the spring towards the summer, Brew McCoy's not happy at Texas. He's thinking about transferring back. And then it's like, what the heck is going on? 
Brew McCoy ultimately transfers to USC. And then we suspect that he won't be eligible to play this season because of the weird transfer stuff. But he ends up with like some fever of unknown origin origin or like Legionnaire's disease or something crazy like that. And is unable to like is, is, is suffering from fevers for weeks on end that no one can diagnose. Like the year that Brew McCoy had when it comes to USC, that's some banana stuff. Yeah, that's a good pull. That might be crazier than Cliff Kingsbury, uh, another Texas connection, which leads into a third Texas connection, Bo Davis. USC hires Bo Davis, uh, or uh, Steve Sarkeesian hires Bo Davis in his staff at the beginning of 2014 uh, from Texas. And then I think seven days later, eight days later, Bo Davis is like, actually, I'm going to go to Alabama instead. Leave. Goes to Alabama. (laughs) And then SCS, if I have to go after uh, uh, Chris Wilson, uh, uh, Craig Wilson, Chris, what was his name? Chris Wilson. Yeah. Chris Wilson. Ka- yeah. Caleb the, Wilson's, Caleb Wilson's father. dad. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So wild times for USC. Uh, let's go into the most shocking moments of the decade. Uh, I'm going to start with this one and it's uh, Steve Sarkeesian's removal. Uh, yeah. You know, this was, you know, uh, um. Shortly, a month after, a uh, little more than a month after the whole um, uh, Salute to Troy incident, uh, probably the worst moment in the history of our podcast was us hopping on here and saying that this wasn't a big deal. Uh, what's the big deal? Like, coaches drink at these things? Who cares? One of the worst takes we've ever had, and certainly yeah. we ate crow about it plenty of times in 20, 2015 because of it. Uh we learned as podcasters not to do that. Uh, but lo and behold, after USC gets shamed in a loss to Washington on a Thursday night, um, Steve Sarkeesian at the beginning of October uh, is removed because he showed up to, to practice inebriated. Do you remember that day? Yeah. It was like a Sunday and a bye week, right? It was a, it was a bye week. And so they were having the Sunday practice and we weren't credentialed at that point. And so, we like, I just remember we weren't there. That was the first year we were credentialed. I was. Credentialed. Oh, you weren't. You were. You were credentialed. I wasn't credentialed, so I wasn't yes. going to practice. And I remember just like being at home and seeing the reports coming through from people saying like Sark didn't show up to practice today, and we're like, huh, that's weird. And then it just spiraled into like, this is serious. Like this is big. And then when the news came out that he turned up to practice drunk, it was like, oh, no. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Another what if moment. What if, what if that never happens? What if he does turn a corner as a head coach? Um, Clay Helton doesn't get the job as interim. How long does Clay Helton stay at USC? I don't know. Like all these things are, are big question marks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my most shocking moment of the decade also has to do with the removal of a head coach, but I'm going just a couple of years earlier, the tarmac. I still, because, so the thing is we, as you know, people who run a website, um, we like to be prepared when stories that we suspect are going to be broken break. For instance, the Clay Helton news, we had an article ready in case Clay Helton was retained. And we had an article ready in case Clay Helton was fired. Like we had a list of candidates, like we had a list of like 13 or 14 candidates 
uh, that we were about to drop if if it happened. Yeah. So we are generally prepared for these eventualities. Um, we had been updating that Hilton article. For instance, after every loss that USC had this year, I we would do the the car cast, and then I would say, "Well, I need to update that that article that that article for Hilton." And we do that now. We weren't doing that at the time when it came to Kiffin. And I remember USC losing that game to ASU. But I actually came out of that game thinking, "Man, Kiffin's doing like Kiffin's side of the ball because they had been struggling early in the season on offense." Kiffin's right. side of the ball was fine. The the offense Scored wasn't the problem points. against ASU. Yeah. Yeah. So it they, was like... They fought back in the second half. Yeah, it wasn't a bad game for USC. So I went to bed that well, night. I mean, that it Saturday was the game of 61 points, but... Well, but it wasn't like... I, I went to bed that night without the thought even popping into my head that the next day Lane Kiffin wouldn't be USC's head coach. And I get, were you the one who called me? Somebody called me. I My phone started blowing up with text messages in the middle of the night. So with, I was I was awake. Because you're uh, an insomniac, believe, yeah. Yes. And I believe USC fired him at like 4.24 a.m. or something like that. Yeah. And so I'm awake on Twitter and there's a tweet from USC Athletics that says, Lane Kiffin terminated. And I'm like, what? Nobody's awake. Nobody's running with the story. It's just on Twitter. And so I immediately run to, to the website. I'm writing everything as fast as I can. Just writing up this thing. And then I post an article for us like 10, 12 minutes later that he's been fired. And by that point, it's starting to gain, gain steam. And I'm texting you. I'm texting our, our other editor at the time, Matthew Moreno. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's This, this happened. And like I think it took a while for, for you guys to respond. And then there were all the the details that were coming out later into the morning. And then we found out that Ed Ogeron was going to be the interim, not Clancy Pendergast or, or not anybody else on the staff. It was it was wild. Absolutely I just, wild. I just remember that feeling of literally jolting out of bed. Like, you know, when you that when you go from fast asleep to seeing something that makes you wide awake that I just remember right. like sitting up in my bed, just like. Whoa, totally wide awake, 100%, just like, bam, up and going. So, yeah, that was the most shocking moment of the decade for me, for sure. All right, let's 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 flip to the other side of things. What it was the the most, uh, I, I put best USC moment, but I mostly mean the, the most, um, the opposite of bad moments. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the best USC moment, right? Like, yeah. what, what was... What was the 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 pinnacle uh, for for fans uh, th- this decade? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think since I know what you picked as well, because I have the the sheet in front of me, um, we neither of us picked the Rose Bowl uh, because I think we're going to be able to talk about that game later. Uh, I picked rushing the field, the 2013 uh, Stanford upset. And really, it was just because um, the feel good factor for that game was immense. Uh, Stanford being the rival, Stanford having beaten USC the way that they did the year before, um, being at the Coliseum. And the year before that. And the year before that. The way that the, and the, year that, that. <laughs> the team was rallying around Ed Orgeron, uh, the way that the, the players on that team, like what Marquise Lee did in that game, I, I will remember the, the fourth down conversion, the electricity in the Coliseum. Uh, being in the stands with Trinice, with our with our friend Trinice, and just like I, just that that 
energy of like bouncing up and down on our on our on our feet and and when the when the um field goal was going to come like i don't either trinice or someone around us couldn't look and i was like sort of looking through my fingers and we had agreed if if usc made the kick that we were going to rush the field like i think trinice was like we're rushing the field right and i was like hell yeah we are something like that and uh and then rushing the field which turned into like not actually rushing like you couldn't call it rushing because we like literally just crept inch by inch along with the you know miles of other people who were trying to get out on the field but then getting out onto the field which was my first time on the coliseum field ever um which like now to me is being on the coliseum floor is is totally normal i do it every week but like at that time it was just looking up at the peristyle and just wide-eyed and wow yeah everything about that was was such a, a memorable uh great high of a moment for for usc and it, and it felt too it was one of those like maybe USC is back, maybe USC can be competitive, maybe USC can fight with the big dogs, kind of moments. Which we've had a lot of those uh, where we've we've thought, well, is this the time that USC is back? And right. it hasn't been, but this that was probably the biggest for me. Yeah, that was that was a huge moment for SC. Uh, tailgating that day was super fun too. Uh, for for game, you and I went to game day. Yeah, uh, that that was a fun time. It was a wild game. USC ends up winning that thing, especially because it validated the frustration and the highs and lows of the the 2011 game, which, you know, I I don't think we have it listed anywhere here, but I could make an argument that the 2011 game was the best game of the decade, uh, which we'll get to shortly, um, just because it was so entertaining. I'm going to bring up the uh, the 2011 game later on, too, so I'm going to wait to uh to give my thoughts on that yeah uh my, my pick by the way for uh best usc moment of the decade is 50 to nothing over over ucla uh it, it's a moment that i think usc fans have clung to uh i've i've thought it's been weird how many ucla fans cling to the anthony bar hit on matt barkley but sc fans clinging to 50 to nothing i mean if we take out the the celebrating injury part of that it's basically the same thing. Fans yeah. love to beat their rival. Love to dethrone their rival. And yeah, but USC 50 to nothing is 50 way better nothing. than one hit. No, I, I agree with you. But I'm saying it's it, the, the lust for that moment is, is the same, right? Where yeah. fans love to have that moment. And 50 to nothing was dominant win for USC. It's the pinnacle of Lane Kiffin at USC. The pinnacle of Matt Barkley and Robert Woods and Marquise Lee and everything working together for the Trojans against a really bad UCLA team. Uh, and it, it was it was the the culmination of the sanctions of uh, in terms of the bowl ban. That was the last game that USC played under the bowl ban. And after that, it's like, all right, it's over. It's uh, going into 2012. It's, you know, game on. And SC goes into the season as a preseason number one. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was the equivalent of the bowl game, right? Like, yeah, essentially. Yeah. SC wore Pac-12 South champs shirts after that. Uh, let's let's flip the coin over again. Go to most shake my head moments of the decade. And I understand some of these are just so close, but shake my head (laughs) moments of the decade. Slight variance. Yeah. I got to go with the El Paso fiasco. (laughs) <laughs> everything about El Paso. Everything about El Paso. 
you know the tumbleweeds on twitter (laughs) the tumbleweeds tweets uh you know uh, leonard williams and and tony burnett having tweets about about el paso not being a place that they wanted to go to people complaining about new year's to the luncheon an hour late yeah like how does that even happen and just the, the the total disregard for for the sun, for the Sun Bowl, which is utterly embarrassing for USC. Yeah, uh, Lane Kiffin showing up for the the Sun Bowl dressed like he's incognito man or something. Like, he was wearing sunglasses and a hoodie, and then there's rumors of like a fight, like that, yeah, that, he, like, that he had a shiner or something like that. Like I don't know if that's ever potentially been confirmed. in the locker room. Like all these all this stuff. It, it was all it was all brutal for USC. A moment that. A week that SC certainly would would have wanted back. Uh, and the other point I'd make is, you know, a lot of USC fans are, are not happy with, you know, Clay Helton coming out and saying, you know what, uh, we're proud to go to the Holiday Bowl and, and play in, in, you know, respected bowl and all this stuff. A lot of people are not happy hearing that. The What's the alternative? The alternative is doing the Sun Bowl crap again. Yeah. That was legitimately embarrassing and unprofessional. Very unprofessional, absolutely. You you don't want to do that. There's yeah. there's a way you can say that the Holiday Bowl isn't your ultimate goal, and still not come off like it is so beneath you. It's like the like the Sun Bowl. But what's yeah. what's your shake your head moment? All right, it closed out the year uh, pretty much. The keeping Helton saga of 2019. Oh, 2019, not 2018. Of 2019, because 2018 <laughs> 2018 was bad. Five and seven was bad. But I could I talked myself into it really early that like they could see this as just a one off year. They didn't have a president and they wouldn't want to make the move. The entire fall from Carol Fultz getting appointed as president to when the moment that Lynn Swan was ousted to the moment that Mike Bone was was hired. Everyone thought that Clay Helton would be fired. Um, football scoop described it as the the um, the worst kept secret in college football that Clay Helton would be fired. Everyone seemed to think this was the inevitable ending, and then all of the sudden, in the last month of the season, all of the sudden, the just everything fell into place for Helton being kept, and the way it all happened, where the season ends and they were waiting for the Pac-12 title. Uh, decision to go to go down with Utah playing Colorado so you could forgive the the first week of waiting but then that Sunday the news breaking in the morning that Helton would be fired and then Bruce Feldman and Pete Thamel and all the national writers coming out and saying nope not not true according to us like you hearing that USC was pissed off about that but then still not confirming that Helton would be back Waiting on Monday, still no confirmation that Hilton would be back. Waiting on Tuesday, still no confirmation that Hilton would be back. All over, back and forth, on Twitter, on message boards, on everywhere. People saying, nope, nope, he's definitely getting fired still. He's definitely getting fired still. He's definitely getting fired still. I'm talking to people who are saying he's definitely getting fired still, but but I don't know now. I don't know now. Like, the, the back and forth. And then, on Wednesday, the way it came down, and the way it all just, like, the reaction to it, the the... The the explosion of anger from USC fans and everything like that. Just the entire week was crazy. Shake my head. <laughs> yeah, that's a solid one. Uh, it, it was, you know, I I had mentioned that if if SC had lost to ASU or Cal, 
they needed to probably fire Clay Helton at that point because you didn't want the circus of him going into the UCLA game. And he ultimately kept winning a couple of those games. And the circus happened when SC kept him instead. But that mm-hmm. circus was, was bound to happen at some point if, if he lingered a little bit too too long compared to what USC fans were, were hoping. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and do some more of these superlatives. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, let's talk about people now. People and moments and, and more specific football-y things. Staffer of the decade. Who was USC's staffer of the decade? Assistant coach, staffer, whatever. Staffer of the decade. Who we got? For me, I, I got Dylan McCullough. Um, I just think that he was the perfect hire for USC the year that USC had him. The the impression that he left, the way that he coached the running backs, the the techniques that he brought to the running back group that they're still using today. Um, yeah, Dylan McCullough, a rock star. What he did for Rojo was awesome. Yeah. That first yeah. run of the season uh, against Western Michigan set the tone for Ronald Jones and set the tone for Ronald Jones. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> and, uh, and set I, the tone. And, you know, it, it, it he personified everything that Dylan McCullough preached. Well, and he's the reason Marquis Stepp is at USC now because he was the one who yeah. came out and recruited Marquis Stepp. I think it was like a friend of the family or something like that. Um, and there are other, I think there are other really worthy candidates here. Like you could argue that T Martin, the way that he recruited has been a huge influence for USC, uh, Johnny Nansen or or any of those guys. But for me, the high that like just the impression that Dylan McKellar left in that one year was enough to sort of fill a decade for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I will take Gavin Morris. I don't think anyone has worked harder, uh, and gotten more victories for what they do, despite not having the title next to their name, than Gavin Morris. Just what he's been able to do as a uh, as a recruiting staff guy uh, and, and a support staff guy has been incredible. He almost single-handedly has helped USC recruit at a high level despite uh, the, the, the struggles at times, right? Despite 2017 uh, not panning out and how USC fans liked it, even though they still won 11 games, uh, he was a big force of the reason why they got big, big names uh, in the 2018 class. And, you know, last season, SC goes five and seven, and they have a recruiting class that finished 20th in the country. But really, in terms of talent, they were like 14th or 13th or whatever it was because they ended up getting Brew McCoy back, ended up getting Chris Steele back. And those kind of guys were guys that, you know, have relationships with Gavin Morris, right? Like everyone, the, the local... Uh, local kids, so many guys have a relationship with Gavin Morris, and he did so much to uh, punch above his weight. Yeah, I think that's a very good pick. He deserves a ton of credit. Yeah, let's move on to coach of the decade, as in head coach. This is a tough one. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be controversial Lane- no matter who we pick. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I-, I think it has to be Lane Kevin. Uh, for, if nothing else, for how he maneuvered through the sanctions, how he managed the sanctions, I will stay firmly in the camp that the sanctions never affected USC. And I was tired of hearing about them. I hated hearing about them because I was over it. And it was always an excuse that people would use. 
And I thought that USC managed the sanctions so well that they weren't a problem and they should have never been an excuse for anything. And that's because of Lane Kiffin. And because of his ability to recruit, he had to hit on everybody and he damn near did. That 2012 class was so small, but yet he gets Zach Banner, who ends up being a you know a, a stalwart at right tackle, especially as a run blocker. Uh, he gets Nelson Aguilar, who gets an, becomes an All-American. He gets Chad Wheeler, who becomes an All-American. All three of those guys have plaques on the All-American wall in that 2012 class, right? Leonard Williams in that 2012 class is on the wall. It's a tiny class. 2013 is the class that backfires after the 2012 season, but... There's so many superstars on that cl- on that class. Um, the talent level was insane, and the the 2010 class he keeps it together after Pete Carroll leaves. The 2011 class is is massive, um, and he's able to just stockpile talent and stockpile talent to allow USC to get through the sanctions. So big uh, tip of the cat to uh, Joey Freshwater. <laughs> oh, good old Lane Kiffin. Um, I think that's a very, very, very strong argument for Lane Kiffin. Um, I went with the controversial of our all controversial picks because it's fresh. Uh, Clay Hilton, he won the Pac-12. He's the only coach who did. He won the Rose Bowl. He's the only coach who did in this uh, in this decade. But I do think that uh, your case for Lane Kiffin is probably stronger in the sense that Lane Kiffin actually set USC up to thrive beyond the uh beyond the sanctions and the only thing that stopped them from really being able to hit the ground was Steve Sarkeesian's alcohol problem like and USC's penchant for hiring the wrong head coach like you know yeah. that's that that was that was the USC's own decision making and management has been a much 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 bigger hindrance to USC's success in this decade than the sanctions were. And and you're right to credit yeah. Lane Kiffin for that because he managed them beautifully. I would love to see what a coach that man, that combined the recruiting and talent evaluation of Sark, or, sorry, of, of Lane Kiffin, the schematic plan of Steve Sarkeesian and the ability to just, um, uh, the the ability to le- the, to inspire the, the loyalty skills and, and and all that yeah. stuff of of both Clay Helton and Ed Ogeron and you put yeah. those all together and I think that would have been a hell of a coach who could have won national championships at USC. The for problem sure. was that each, all four of those guys were flawed and majorly huge. Um, yeah, and, and and so you end up with having coaches who weren't able to all put it together because they haven't been able to put it all together as as one, but. I would have loved to know what the Steve Sarkeesian era would have done if he would have been given his time. Because I seriously think he had a plan for the offense. He had a plan to use guys like Dominic Davis and, you know, Adoree Jackson and stuff like that. Like, how how could he have put everything together with Juju, um, Ronald Jones? Like, I would have been fascinated to see how it would have come all together. I don't know if he wins a national title, but I think that there would have been a plan there and it would have been fun to watch. But nonetheless, you can't pick Sark here. Uh, let's go to play of the decade. What do you got? Yeah, so my pick for this, uh, there have been bigger plays, more meaningful plays, but none that have made me quite so happy. And I think about this play often when I think of like my favorite plays that I've ever seen in a football game. Let me guess. 20- let me guess. Let me guess. 2015, uh, Trey Madden's run on fourth <laughs> down to clinch the cow game? Not quite, although I do. I, I am sad I didn't find a way to pigeonhole. 
Trey Madden in here at all. But no, this okay. is 2016. USC's hosting Colorado at the Coliseum. Sam Darnold does some magical Sam Darnold things, and it is a like a full random team play. So Darnold, uh, and Darnold fumbles the mesh point with Ronald Jones, and the ball hits the turf, and he has to pick it up, and it's a broken play. So Colorado's defenders are closing in on him, so he just sort of rolls a big looping arc up and around. So USC's about at about the 10-yard line, and he is sort of looping back to the 30-yard line. And he's just on the run like Sam Darnold is with his eyes downfield. And he just, like, tosses across his body to Tyler Petit, who's standing at the 10-yard, at the line of scrimmage, essentially, um, where he's coming, he's coming back to catch the ball. He catches the ball turns around, faces the end zone, and there's still two defenders in the way. And the play actually works out perfectly as though it were a tight end screen because Deontay Burnett and Juju Smith-Schuster, each in front of Tyler uh, Tyler Petit, they're both able to hit their blocks. Tyler Petit hits the hole right between them, gets to the end zone. It is the stupidest, craziest, most beautiful tight end touchdown that has ever been. And it is my favorite play of the decade. Now, I was going to bring up we 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 referenced the 2011 Stanford game earlier. I was going to bring up I had a very 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 hard time deciding between the funness of that play and the explosion of just in, like incredible excitement of Nickel Roby's pick six. Like Nickel Roby's pick six against Stanford in 2011 is still one of the like m- most explosive moments of I, like football. I've never felt I've never been inside a football stadium that had a feeling like that moment. It was completely unique. See, and I Uh, wasn't even in the Coliseum. I was in my grandmother's family room, and I was jumping up and down on the couch. (laughs) I've always said that the the loudest game at USC was the Cal game in twenty in two thousand four. That 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 was the loudest prolonged moment. The the goal line stand at the end. But the loudest singular moment, the loudest jolt was the the Nickel Roby pick six. Cause it just it like it came out of nowhere. And it was the moment, the tie game, you know, against Andrew Luck, best quarterback in the country, uh, you know, best prospect of in decades and all that kind of stuff. And and Nickel Roby jumps the route and it was it was a huge moment. And then yep. SC lost the game. Yep. But that's a game that nobody cares about USC losing. So uh, it was it was a crazy, crazy three overtime game. It's not my play. I that was my number two. Also, uh, my top play has to be Sam Darnold to Deontay Burnett. Uh, part three of the Rose Bowl, the throw, uh, right in front of you and me in the sideline. Yeah, I still one of the wildest moments in the sense of so you're watching on the sideline. We're standing there. We're standing at like the the ten yard line, and I see Darnold throw, and then I just turn, and out of nowhere, Deontay Burnett leaps and catches it, and it's this huge, crazy moment and everything. I didn't realize how great of an amazing throw it was until the next day, when yeah, I was rewatching the-, the game, and I'm like, oh my god, how did Darnold do this? How did he look off three defenders? in the same moment and put it in the spot that, that was just perfect while at the same time, completely passing on throwing a wide open Juju Smith-Schuster who probably could have ran into the end zone himself. <laughs> yeah. And, and I actually have video of it. Uh, I was, 
I had my phone out and was uh, shooting just on my phone. So I have that moment like immortalized on from my vantage point. It's just like the expl- again, another one of those explosions of, of things. And, and you're right. From the field, we couldn't tell how immensely ridiculous that throw was uh, to, to, to beat Marcus Allen and, and those guys over the middle the way it was. And then to learn after the fact that it was a totally impromptu, improvised yeah. Deontay or, broke yeah, off his route. It's not broken. Yeah, and, and Darnold just instinctually, instinctively knew that's where he was going to be, and so he put it there. Uh, yeah, it's a hell of a play, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, play of the decade for me. Uh, let's go to uh, game of the decade. What do you got? I, I think it's very simple. I think we're just going to yep. say it together. Okay. Three, two, one. The 2017, 2017 Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, it, uh, pretty darn simple. The way that game went, USC started strong, slipped in the third quarter, and then the way that they built... You know what? The, my my most underrated play of that game is well, two underrated plays have to do with Juju Smith Schuster. One is the touchdown that starts the comeback to in Juju. the third quarter. Yeah, it's a great pass. Uh, it's Sam Darnold's only good pass of the third quarter in my mind. Yes, and the like that that pass is underrated as well. And then on one of the drives to, I think maybe it was the score, the 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 tying drive, the the pass the that got tipped. Yeah. Yeah, like. Everything about that game was just out. Just and then also when you have to consider, like Saquon Barkley was a freaking beast. He was incredible. And the incredible. way Elon Marshall got beat on that long touchdown pass that was just like the luckiest thing. And then you consider that USC the, finishes the, that game without Adore Jackson on the field and without and um, and Cam Smith. Yeah, like at, with Cam Smith out and like all of the guys on the sideline by the end of that game. A game in which Rojo didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, Rojo and, wearing you know, wearing the, a the the Trace McSorley touchdown to to Chris Godwin where he just threw it up, uh, yeah. like out of nowhere. I thought he was throwing it away and it just dropped in Chris Godwin's hand. The end zone was incredible. Like that game was just so absolutely Epic. insane, insane. Yeah. I would have loved to watch it on a you know it, it was great being there obviously, but like. That that was the perfect game that you watch on your couch in front of a big screen as, as a neutral out. and just freak out at every single moment because it yeah. was a hell of a game. Hell of a game indeed. Uh, let's go to fail of the decade. What was the fail of the decade? You've already mentioned uh, it, but I think uh, the Sun Bowl. And you can include yep. the, the, whole, the entire 2012 season in that from the number one rating to deflate gate. USC addition to the swapping of the jerseys on special teams and yep. every little scandal that Lane Kiffin created or had attract to him and then to end with the Sun Bowl fiasco and we talked a lot about the like lead up to the Sun Bowl but like the Sun Bowl itself the game itself was just bad Atrocious. bad 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 football so that was the absolute fail of the decade yeah they lost to a team with a losing record uh, in a bowl game. Yeah. Yeah, not what you want to do. Uh, my fellow of the decade is to jail Mary. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> it's really simple. Uh, really, it, it's the combination of, it's the 2014 season. We've mentioned this before on the on the podcast. That 2014 team lost two games in the most stupidest, unthinkable ways. The jail Mary 
And then Nelson Aguilar on fourth down steps out of bounds at Utah. If he stays in bounds, USC wins the game. If yep. they beat if they beat one of those teams, they win the Pac-12 South. If they win both of those teams. I mean, if they win both of those games, uh, Alicia, they're a one-loss team going into the UCLA game with that one loss being the unthinkable loss to Boston College. Yep. Which should have never happened. Like they could have they should have been undefeated going into the UCLA game. Now they got their ass kicked at the Rose Bowl uh, and had no business being on the field with UCLA that night, but like so they would have been completely a paper tiger, but they should have been undefeated in 2014 at that point. Yeah. Although I still consider that Boston College. I know that, that the Boston College loss was was awful, but like the Boston College loss might be up there with the Stanford loss in terms of like, I don't care about it because I knew from kickoff as soon as they started honoring the, uh, the, the 9-11, 9/11 guy? firefighter, it was over. Yeah, they did give up four hundred and something yards. They're, they're wearing they're wearing the bandanas that he wore when he was a hero in in the in the in the towers. Yeah, and I'm sitting there going like, oh gosh, Boston College has something to fight for tonight. It's not good for USC. No. I didn't even mind. I I didn't even mind. Like I thought it was such a cool moment for Boston College to pull off that upset on that night. Like I I barely even minded. Yeah, four hundred and something rushing yards later. Uh- <laughs> Let's go to dud of the decade. Who's your dud of the decade? Um, my dud of the decade is Dylan Baxter. Dylan Baxter was the John's son, right? What? What? Well, sorry, John's son. John's son. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I mean, maybe they are related because they are duds together. <laughs> um, no, Dylan Baxter was supposed to be the next coming of Reggie Bush. He looked that way in in practice in camp. And everyone was super excited for him. And it just like the way his potential unraveled as quickly as it did to the point where like he went from this is a future superstar to like, yeah, riding him off. Not going to happen was just immense. Yeah. Everyone's looking for the white Reggie Bush. Uh, We thought it was Dylan Baxter. It ended up being Christian McCaffrey. (laughs) Yeah. Of all things, Stanford's the one who found the uh, the next Reggie Bush. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, my dud of the decade is Pat Hayden. I, I don't know how it can't be. Um, the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian, uh, the hiring of Clay Helton. Um, you can argue the hiring of Andy Enfield. Everything. Um, Pat Hayden was supposed to be the one. He was supposed to be the chosen one. Um, the Rhodes Scholar, the the guy who was he. You know everything that when Clay Helton got hired, the the adult in the room and all that stuff. All those things applied to Pat Hayden in 20, 2010. He was coming. He was going to clean up the mess of the sanctions. And in a lot of ways, he did in terms of like things like APR. He vastly improved USC's APR and their compliance and all that. But, 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 plenty of bad decisions. Well, and not, not, not the least of which, it's technically his athletic department that is the varsity blues scandal happens under right yeah so yeah no good not good good. uh who's your freshman of the decade because mine is keaton slovis i mean the numbers that keaton's put up are are pretty pretty crazy pretty awesome but for me it's dory jackson because what a dory did as a 
cornerback and a a a return man and a receiver was just it was outrageous it was outrageous and and what he did in the uh in the holiday bowl the way that he scored that touchdown in the holiday bowl yep. floating floating like a butterfly Wait, down which the field which one which one are you talking about the the swing the, pass the jet sweep yeah or was it yeah. the jet sweep yeah either way adori was otherworldly as a freshman yeah. so yeah i i had the the pleasure of talking to t martin one time uh about that play uh, and he said, as soon as as soon as they lined up, Sark was like, "There it is, there it is, it's right there, it's right there," <laughs> and everything everything worked out. Uh, and yeah, Adoree's freshman year was, was incredible. The reason I don't pick Adoree for this is that we expected that from Adoree. We expected it. There were expectations. Nobody expected anything from Keaton Slovis. To be quite honest, I didn't expect Keaton Slovis would ever play at USC. I agree. And here we are. He is the freshman offensive player of the year, which is insane. Uh, and all credit to him. I, I know we got a tweet from Rena Troy last week. Uh, uh, someone tweeted us and said that it's all thanks to Graham Harrell and, and the, the system. I don't think that that's true. I, I think a lot of it is, you know, there was a reason before the season I was saying the quarterback wouldn't matter and whatnot. Uh, and I still believe a lot of that, like that any quarterback could have thrived in this system. Uh, at the same point, what made Keaton Slovis so good were the things that stepped out of that system, his ability to manage in the pocket, his ability to make decisions, his his ability to uh, do all the little things right, his ability to not get down, and, and his ability to correct his mistakes, which, uh, which is a lot of just him. Uh, and it's a lot of good good coaching from Graham Harrell, too. But uh, Keaton Slovis just completely defied all expectations. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of reject the whole, like, Clay Hilton with the backup quarterback. Like, he lost his quarterback in week one. Like, I think that JT Daniels probably has a, a, a fine season at least. If You know, I would bet on him having a, a quite good season. But right. Keaton, you can tell the difference in the way that he's calm and keeps his head and doesn't ha- com- you know commit the same mistakes over and over again and doesn't fall into the same traps. I think that if they uh, went eight they- and four with Matt Fink, it would be easier to play that card. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that Keaton Slovis proved that he has the it factor beyond JT Daniels. So I don't buy into the whole like if JT was the quarterback, USC would have been ten and two or whatever. Like, I mean, maybe if maybe he doesn't lose to BYU, but um, either way, I don't think he has the same kind of impact on the offense as Keaton does. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. Uh, also, shout out to all the uh, Jack Sears stands. Where are you? <laughs> haven't haven't heard anything recently. Uh, let's go to playmaker of the decade, skill player. What do you got? Who's your playmaker of the decade? Yeah, I got, I got Adore Jackson, and I you know we've talked it's about Adore, be, right? but I I want to highlight the one play that I think just stands out to me for Adore, aside from you know the Notre Dame annihilation, but. Wasn't it was it against Colorado again? It was the one toe one footed like little toe tap interception yep. on the sideline yeah. that just defied physics. It just uh, incredible. Incredible. I thought about that being my play of the decade too, but it but because it was a single players 
contribution. I decided to go with the, the sort of group contribution of the tight end touchdown. But what Adori did, I've I've still never seen the like of that interception. I for, for, for me, Adori Jackson's my obvious pick here, too. Uh, the moment is 2015. The punt return where he stops on a dime and, and turns around. Uh, I was in the press box in Tempe at ASU that that game, and everybody was like, oh, oh, ooh, ah. Everybody in the press box. And reminder that you're not Literally you're not everybody. It's a road to... game. It's yeah. a road game, too. Yeah. So it's not just USC homers doing that. It's like literally everybody stopped and like had this moment of bewilderment. Like, how did that just happen? And so many moments uh, for Adori were, were, were like that. And he certainly capped it off in the best way possible. Uh, the big win against Notre Dame in which he scored a bunch of different ways. And then in the Rose Bowl, even though he got hurt at the end, which was not fun for him. Uh, let's go to lineman of the decade. Who's your lineman of the decade? At least this the moment of the show where we just agree on everything. It's Leonard Williams. Yeah. I was gonna go with Matt Khalil and then I thought, nah, it's Leonard Williams. <laughs> like Leonard Williams is just ridiculous. You can make the argument that Leonard Williams is the greatest defensive lineman in USC history. You cannot make the argument that Matt Khalil is the greatest offensive lineman. And so I think yeah. that's why you have to take Leonard Williams. Now, I'm not saying I'd make that argument, but I'm saying that it's makeable. I think you could make that. And Leonard Williams was just so dominant uh, in his time at USC. Someone who got to USC was a reckless playmaker who took dumb penalties and were like, can this guy rein it in? And then his final two years at SC were just off the charts. That 2014 game uh, against Stanford where it looked like he wasn't going to play and then he had a, like 13 tackles or something like that with everything on his body just taped up the yeah. the dude was insane playing through a torn labrum a, a, an ankle sprain what have you he was a, a dominant player for the trojans yeah that, that that stanford game is the one that stands out for me he was playing on a bum ankle and he was out there producing that goal line sack the way that he did just a herculean performance from him yep 100 percent defensive player as a whole who is it of the um, I ultimately went with Cameron Smith on this, and that's because I decided for this one to favor longevity a little bit here. Um, I think there have been better defenders for USC, but oh, what the Bur- Cam Eleven pick the well, yeah, yeah the the importance of Cam Smith as a freshman, as a sophomore, as a junior, as a senior, and we're seeing this year, or we we've seen this year what a miss it is to not have Cam Smith, to not have a super reliable top shelf linebacker on your team, on your defense. I think that uh, he has been an underrated miss uh, this season in in 2019, if you want to point to reasons why USC has fallen off even more of a cliff defensively. Uh, Cam Smith, USC misses him a ton, and he had some really, really top level moments and uh, was just a super essential defender for USC's defense over the past few years. It's a good pick. Really good pick. Uh, but I am going to take a certain Sua Cravens. Someone who got to USC with plenty of expectations. I remember Greg Biggins tweeting out uh, during his recruitment that he's never seen a player this cerebral since Troy Polamalu. And I thought it was high praise that wouldn't be able to be met. And that or that instinctive is Troy Polamalu. And gosh darn... 
<laughs> Alicia Stewart Cravens was was that good. Uh, one of the greatest first quarter players I've ever seen in my life. We've talked about this before, and that partially was because he was so good early on in games that teams would have to make adjustments to try to take him out of games. We, we saw it so many times. In that Jail Mary game, I think he had three tackles for loss in the first quarter. Uh, he had a pick six and a couple of tackles for loss uh, in the first quarter of the 2014 Oregon State game. The Stanford game uh, in 2015, one of the main reasons USC ends up in that game, uh, in the Pac-12 championship game, when they had no business being in that game, was because Seward Cravens kept making plays on defense. He was the only one making plays on defense that that night. The only one. Yeah, and the, one of the most impressive things about Sua is that he was uber impressive as a true freshman starter at safety. And then yep. they move him to linebacker in fall camp because they have to deal with, was it Jabari Ruffin who got injured? Yeah, Jabari um, Ruffin, torn ACL. And so they, they move him to linebacker and they sort of created new positions for him as the season as as his career progressed uh and so he never really got to play the position that he wanted to play outside of that freshman year but he was an outstanding defender no matter where you put him on the field and just you know you could make the argument outside of leonard williams maybe he's the best defender that usc has had all decade so yeah yeah 100 percent. like Uh, that's why i'm yeah that's why i'm picking him uh, let's go to offense. Who's your offensive player of the decade? Marquise Lee. Yep. I submit to you the Arizona game, and that is all I need to say. <laughs> the crazy part about that is he nearly caught the, the Hail Mary. I just, one of those moments where it's the only thing that would have made that that performance even more stellar than it was. Yeah, 345 receiving yards on 16 catches. One of the most insane stat lines you'll ever see. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to do that in Madden. And uh, Marquise Lee just had a hell of a game against the Arizona Wildcats in a losing effort. Insert the solid verbal drop there. Um, yeah, I think it's got to be Marquise Lee. He ended up finishing, was it fourth in the Heisman voting that year? Didn't get the invite to New York, but probably should have. Won the Blitnikoff USC's only uh, Blitnikoff winner. Uh, Michael Pittman did not win the Blitnikoff last week, um, but he was a semifinalist. But you know, <laughs> uh, they haven't. There, that that has. Oh wait, you are. Uh, Alicia, we are, are you in forgetting that we're? My bad. You, you My just, bad. You broke the fourth wall here. My we're bad. recording this last week. <laughs> I'm just assuming he didn't. You're not cut it. That's fine. Maybe he did with it. Who knows? Maybe he did. It's <laughs> like, what are you uh, talking? Anyways. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Dork. Uh, Marquise Lee wins, uh, nearly wins the Heisman. Um, could have won the Heisman. It was a Heisman uh, fourth place finisher. And uh, I think that's why he's got to be up there. Uh, Adore Jackson certainly could have been a Heisman finalist as well. Uh, let's go to last one. Just... Player of the decade, who you got? I, I I think I still have to go back to Leonard Williams. I am going with Sam Darnold because I think that uh, no one had the singular impact that Sam Darnold has. Sam Darnold has changed the way that people perceive the head coach. Um, Sam Darnold was the number three pick in in the draft. He was just a, a playmaker of of epic yep. proportions. Uh, what he won for USC 
uh, a Pac-12 title, a Rose Bowl. Um, he is the most successful player of the decade, so I give him the player of the decade. All right, there you go. Uh, I'm going to stick with Leonard Williams as my player of the decade for everything I mentioned uh, a few moments ago, which means I probably should have had my, my defensive player too, but oh well. He's player of the decade for me. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Come right back. We're going to rattle off our old decade team as a collective whole uh, and then get into the mailbag and wrap this thing up. So we'll be right back. All right, Alicia, let's get into the all decade team from Reign of Troy for the 2010s of USC football. We got to start at quarterback and who else but Sam Darnold, the first team quarterback for the all decade team. Uh, he'll be backed up by Matt Barkley in the second team and Cody Kessler in the third team. Easily, though, Sam Darnold by head and shoulders above those other two guys. Yeah, Matt Barkley had a hell of a career, but Sam Darnold hit higher heights. You were making the case for Keaton Slovis being third team, but I think I talked you into Cody Kessler just because <laughs> it's a little premature for I, Keaton. I made the case that if you needed one game, you had one game to win, who would you take? Cody Kessler over Keaton Slovis? Uh, I would take Keaton Slovis. So, but you made the the point of we're talking about like the longevity and what they accomplished and and all that stuff. And Keaton still has a little bit to go until he yeah. gets to, to Cody, Cody Kessler owns quite a few USC records. So we're gonna give him the nod here until Ke- Keaton. So does can, Keaton, to be fair. Keaton can own own the uh, the next all decade team. Uh, but let's move That's on fair. to the running backs. Uh, the running backs, first team running backs. We've got Ronald Jones. The second and Buck Allen uh, or Javorius Allen, if you want. Um, The second team running backs, we've got Justin Davis and Curtis Moody McNeil. And the third team running backs, we've got Silas Red and Aka Cedric Ware. Uh, So that's a a really nice group. I think that the the two at the top, though, are, like you said about the quarterback, head and shoulders ahead. Yeah, Rojo and Buck Allen, you know, fantastic. Both of them, you can make the case of... USC's best running back since uh, Reggie Bush and Lendale White. People made that case about Curtis McNeil, and then they made it about Buck Allen, and then they made it about Rojo. Uh, and they got better every time. And Rojo finished his career just in an insane, an insane, uh, you know, season for, for, for SC in 2017 for Ronald Jones. Let's go to the wide receivers. This was the hardest one, one that we talked about so much this year. Would Michael Pittman work his way into that first team? The answer, no. Uh, we went with Marquise Lee, Robert Woods, and Judas Smith-Schuster as the first team wide receivers. We're going with three wide receivers here on the, the all-decade team. Second team, you've got Michael Pittman, Nelson Aguilar, and Deontay Burnett. Third team, Amara St. Brown, Tyler Vons, and Darius Rogers. Uh, this is another one where I think the tiers are pretty clear-cut, but certainly uh, Tyler Vons and Amara St. Brown uh, continue to to excel. Those are two type of two types of players who certainly could be on par with those guys in the first and second team. Ultimately, that wouldn't happen in this decade, though. Yeah, the scary thing is that Michael Pittman, Tyler Vons, and Amon Ross St. Brown could arguably be the best wide receivers at of all time at a lot of universities. And uh, USC's all decade wide receiver core is just loaded and that's really what it comes down to absolutely 100 yeah yep um tight end is a little less loaded unfortunately <laughs> so uh first team tight end we've got xavier grimble 
who genuinely had the the potential to be an all you know another worldly tight end, but he dealt with too many injury issue, issues that got in the way. Second teamer is one of my favorites, Red Ellison, the all-purpose guy uh, who did everything for USC in, in 2011, and USC missed him a lot in 2012. And finally, third team, Daniel Amatabebe, the ultimate what if, the ultimate could have been. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I, I'm going to push back on that, though. The ultimate what if, what could have been is Bryce Dixon. Yeah, but we saw more of Daniel Amatabebe. Uh, not in necessarily, his full though. Form. Like, Bryce Dixon was essentially Drake London this year. Like, you know, we talk about like Drake London's the tight end. That's how they used Bryce Dixon that sure. year. He yeah, could have put a I, wide receiver next to his name. Call me crazy, but I think if Bryce Dixon never had his off the field troubles, which we certainly could have talked about in Wildest Storylines. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he is someone I think would have easily been the first the, the, the first teamer here. We didn't even mention the, the that angle of... Jack Jones, Panda Express, Bryce oh, Dixon, God. Matt Bormeister. We didn't mention Osa Messina and and uh, oh, Don don't. Hill. Like, do not Levi Jones. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. This is where I need a <laughs> bad boys. What you want? What you uh, drop? Yeah, nice. <laughs> Moving on the offensive line from left to right. The first team is left tackle Matt Khalil. Left guard, Elijah Vera Tucker. Center, Colin Holmes. Right guard, Vianne Talamaivo. And right tackle, Tyron Smith. Second team, Chad Wheeler, Damian Mama, Marcus Martin, John Martinez, and Zach Banner. And the third team, Austin Jackson, Chris Brown, Max Turk, Andrew Voorhees, and Kevin Graff. Yeah, I think the, the first team here is pretty easy to pick. I think that Elijah yeah, Vera the- Tucker... Elijah Vera Tucker versus Damian Mama is the 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 close one, but everything else there is clear cut. I just think that AVT has been so much more steady all season than yes. Damian Mama yes. ever was for sure. So I was I was happy to put him up ahead there. But when you get down, I mean, and this shows part of USC's problems this decade. You get down towards the end, towards the third team there, and you start having to make some weird like, does that feel like a all decade team player? question marks so yeah but that's gonna happen with the third team i think the 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 snub here is chumar doga at right tackle i think you can make the case for him above kevin graff uh certainly not above tyron smith and zach banner but he could have been the third teamer that was a a coin flip for us well again that's uh that's longevity that we're that we're siding with there kevin graff was around for a lot longer and was um, just a little bit more reliable in terms of availability and in terms of just, you know, keeping his head down and, and getting his stuff done. So, uh, yeah. So uh, moving on to the defensive line, we've got the well, we're doing a, a four man front here, sort of. So at defensive end, we're going Morgan Breslin, defensive tackle, Leonard Williams, nose tackle, Stevie Tuikolavatu. An edge rusher, Devon Kennard, uh, is the first team. Second team is Rasheem Green, Jarrell Casey, Antoine Woods, and Nick Perry. And third team is Wes Horton, Jay Tufele, George Uko, and Port Augustine. Yeah, solid group. Um, this was difficult to try to discern between Stevie T and uh, Antoine Woods at who would be that first first team uh, nose guard. 
or nose tackle, we ended up going with Stevie T for what he meant to the 2016 season. Even in one season, what he meant, uh, he was the Rose Bowl defensive player of the game in that game. And the other tough one is Morgan Breslin versus Rasheem Green. And again, it comes down to Morgan Breslin's one incredible season in 2012 versus Rasheem Green's two good seasons. And how do you balance those out? And I think we sided with Morgan Breslin's one incredible season, but certainly could go with Rasheem Green at defensive end there too. Yeah. And I will go to bat all day, every day for Stevie T. Stevie T was the most underrated player on that on that team in 2016. He made a huge difference uh, for that defensive front. He allowed that defensive front to work the way that it did. And uh, yeah, he was immense. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention. Some, not many positions here. Is there an honorable mention where you feel bad that someone didn't get a nod? J.R. Tavai. Yeah. As an edge rusher, put him at fourth fourth team, but like three and a half. Like you, you can make the case that he could be over there uh, above Port Augustine. And, you know, deciding between Devon Kennard and Nick Perry is really close too. So uh, two, two great guys uh, for USC on the edge. Uh, Devon Kennard also played a million different positions, so it's hard yeah. to put him in one spot, but we put him there at the edge. Speaking uh, of. And speaking of someone who could have been at the edge also, uh, this... There's a little bit of gerrymandering here. It gets a little funky. Uh, let's talk about the linebackers. Outside linebackers we have on the first team, Buchanan Owosu and Sua Cravens. Inside linebacker is Cam Smith. Second team, Deion Bailey and Malcolm Smith outside. Inside, Hayes Pillard. And the third team, John Houston and Anthony Saro outside with Michael Hutchings in the middle. Yeah, as you can tell, that there's not a lot of consistency there as far as who's actually playing what position, but that's where it just gets a little dicey. Chattanooga Wilson, Cam Smith, and Suet Cravens, though, those are all absolute shoo-ins for USC in those uh, in in a starting lineup at linebacker. So that's easy enough. The good news is is that uh, in in the secondary it gets a little bit more simple as far as the the categories go. Uh, so at cornerback, the first team we've got Adore Jackson and Nickel Roby, and at safety it's T.J. McDonald and the only big surprise here, Talanoa Hafanga. Second team corners Kevon Seymour and Iman Marshall. Second team safeties Marvell Tell and Leon McQuay. Third team corners Sharice Wright and Josh Shaw. Uh, third team safeties, Jawanza Starling and Chris Hawkins. Yeah, this was really difficult to decide the second and third teamers at safety uh, because I think it's very simple. TJ McDonald and Talano Hufanga and Marvell Tell are the three best safeties. The next three, there's a gap there. Those are the three best, and then there's a gap, and then you have Leo McQuay, Jawanza Starling, and Chris Hawkins, all at about the same level. We ultimately put Leon McQuay at the second team safety spot because, again, a great 2016 season as a senior and a huge moment to ultimately win the Rose Bowl with his interception. Yeah, and uh, I think you you and I both are comfortable with Talano Hafanga being the first team safety, even though he's been limited with injury in his first two seasons at USC. But the levels he's reached, the instinctive play that he is uh, that he has shown out on the field uh, has been next level. So he's getting the early nod. 100%. Let's go to the specialists, kickers and punters. First team punter, Kyle Negretti. First team kicker, Andre Hadari. Second team, Chris Alvarado and Chase McGrath. Third team, Ben Griffiths and Matt Bormister. Yeah. Um, Hadari is easy money there. Easy money, but Chase McGrath 
I think might end up having a better career at the end, but just not in terms of this decade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hadari has the game-winning field goals against Stanford. That sort of... McGrath has the game-winning field goals against Texas. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Hadari just just is is pretty simply up there at the top. Uh, The punter is where it got really interesting because, like, Ben Griffiths, as crazy as it may be because people found him disappointing this year, he's already up there with one of the best punters of the decade for USC. So, yeah. Yeah, we we sided with with Negretti's... Average. He had the longest average of the decade, so he gets the first team nod. Chris Alvarado had uh, had a strong tenure as well. Uh, he gets the nod over Ben Griffiths um, as the second team. But uh, if Ben Griffiths had another year or two of what he had done in 2019, he he might get first team. Who knows? He had a great year as a pinner, if nothing else. But let us know your thoughts on the all-decade team here from Ren of Troy for the Trojans in 2010. Uh, through 2019. Uh, We're take a quick break, come right back to the mailbag and wrap this thing up. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with a text message we got from Greg. On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for USC football next September? Um. Um. I think that says it all. Uh, uh, is it is it is it hyperbolic to say one? <laughs> but honestly, like if you ask me, like on a scale of one to ten, how excited about you? How excited are you to cover USC football next week? It would be a zero. So, and the week after that, it would be a zero, and the week after that, it would be a zero. So, like. Maybe by the time we get to September, it'll be a one, which would be an increase from zero. <laughs> uh, see, I think it's like a 10 for me. People people may have noticed because we haven't of, mentioned anything about early signing signing day, early signing period, because there's nothing to say. <laughs> so there you go. That should tell uh, you. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this at a 10 if for no other reason than Texas freaking barbecue, baby. That's fair. See, but I'm, I'm also, more excited for that trip than USC football. Oh, yeah. The trip is going to be fun. Like, I love going yeah. to Texas every single time. It's going to be a fantastic time going with family and stuff. It's, it's, I can't, I can't wait. But, but not the football. The, 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 but see, here's the other thing. I think there's so many reasons to buy into this team next year in terms of players. The players reasons. Uh, to buy I don't in. want to see those the, players have to get embarrassed by Alabama. Oh, well, well certainly. Yeah. I'll give you that. Uh, text message from Chainsaw. I have a hard time believing that Bone is as inept as he appears with his decision. I believe he attempted to replace Clay Helton, but do you think it's possible the looming showdown with Alabama in September made the coaching job less attractive to potential candidates? Love Chainsaw. Uh, thanks for the for the text, Chainsaw. I would buy that more if there weren't other things, bigger things that could turn coaches off of the USC job, namely financial. A willingness to spend money, um, the hovering sort of compliance stuff around USC, all of that going on, uh, I think is probably bigger than the looming show. I, as we've said before, losing it's to Alabama, yeah, I don't think anyone blames you all that much going up against Nick Saban no. in your first game. So, uh, yeah, I yeah. think there are other issues. Yeah, one hundred percent. I don't. I don't think it would have been. It would have been a big deal at all for a coach. I like the idea that Mike Bone isn't inept like i 
I, I, I may cling to that going forward to that possibility. Otherwise, I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Well, otherwise, I just I would have no reason to go on, basically, if I can't cling to that, <laughs> that there is some secret super under wraps plan that is actually being run well. All right. It's like a heist movie. The next email. Like, I want to believe I'm in the middle of a heist movie where, like, it looks like they're about to get caught. And then it's all part of the plan, actually. Right. Ocean's Bone. Ocean's Bone? No. Bones 11? I don't know. Just yeah. read the next email. <laughs> we got an email from Kevin in Philly. Kevin says, Dear Alicia and Michael. First by by off, the way, I'm going to cut you off really quick here. I'm sorry for being rude. Uh, Kevin's first email was like a record in terms of length. This one just about gets there too. It is close. This is like this first one was uh, you know Usain Bolt in, in twenty uh, in in two thousand eight. This is Usain Bolt in twenty twelve. He gets very close to breaking that record again. <laughs> That's interesting. You used Usain Bolt as that uh, comparison when it's a long email. This is actually marathon, Michael. All right. Kevin says, Dear Alicia and Michael, first off, Michael, have you honestly still not played back then for Alicia yet? How dare you? I have. I have. I have. He has. Moving swiftly along. I started this shortly after Hilton was announced announced as being retained and you've made two releases releases since. And in this most recent one, y'all just sound so miserable that I'm going to keep this positive, which ain't my forte and should therefore make it short. But I'm verbose, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> I've come to peace with Helton being retained. I want to thank you for that, Alicia. I really hope we win whatever bowl we end up in. I'm going to support the team. I'm even going to support Helton. It's not like he's an authoritarian president I didn't vote for. And honestly, the fact that he see- appears to be a decent human being does actually matter to me. He doesn't yell at the media after losing five consecutive year-end rivalries like Harbaugh or Leach. There's been no whiff of tragic scandal. My biggest concerns are Harold leaving for Texas, Pendergast and Baxter being retained, and entering a lame duck season like 2013 Kiffin or 2015 Miles. I'm not excited about our chances in Dallas, but I think Slovis is the real deal, and I think he'll be starting, and I think the world will keep spinning. 8-4 and four is better than 5-7. and seven. Getting blown out and being undisciplined and only beating trash teams does suck. I'm honestly not excited about who our options would be to hire right now, though. Regardless, all in all, all in all, USC is not the worst thing going on in my life. The Raiders and Warriors are worse. The Dodgers lost early in the playoffs. Chelsea are up and down. And never mind the real world we're all living in. What if Helton went between 9-3 and three and 11-1 and one for the next three or four years? Would that be so bad? Honestly, if he goes 9-3, and three, wins the Pac-12, and then wins a Rose Bowl, I'm not excited about those three losses, but I take 11 wins and a Rose Bowl every year. Honestly, that would put him in rarefied air. I don't know that will happen, and I'm inching towards freaking out about recruiting and the lack of holiday bowl practice, but you know what else? We won a Rose Bowl with T. Martin and Clancy Pendergast. I think we can win a holiday bowl with Graham Harrell. And anything bad I think of has already been run into the ground by fans lucky enough to have game tickets to give away and money to stop donating. I live on the other side of the country. There are games I miss because of the dumb Pac-12 networks. Last year, I watched the Stanford loss that I had recorded even though my phone had let me know at a party that we lost already. So I won't be giving up on this team. And that's not me me looking down my nose at people. That's just me expressing that I don't have that quit in me as much as I sometimes wish I did. Like I said before, I was fine with the, the Helton hiring to begin with because I wanted stability after churning through Kiffin and Sark. 
and because I felt we whiffed on O. This is no time to sing his praises, but I just want wins. We need to up recruiting, but I think this bowl game is going to mean a lot to the seniors on this team that have experienced the high of that Rose Bowl over Penn State and the lows of the last two years. I think they're going to come out ready to play for their coach against Iowa. I have to believe it. Otherwise, what's the point? Dress dressing out over Alabama for nine months? There will be time for that later. Topic number two, Trojans not in the NFL. Are there any writers covering what USC Trojans are doing after they graduate if not going to the NFL? I'm thinking of Dom Davis and how his best accomplishment as a Trojan football player came on the Trojan track team. Dom Davis down the sideline. <laughs> I'm thinking about the Sorry, I had to. I had to article and the fact that a lot of recruiting pipelines in high schools come from the guys who can't be pros becoming gym coaches and so forth. I'm thinking I'm genuinely curious what these players are able to do with these educations of theirs, which are supposed to be, according to the NCAA, worth more than them being paid for their likeness. Surely some of these kids enjoy or at least make do and get through class. I was going to make topic three recruiting, but I don't follow it well enough and y'all have covered it really well in the Holiday Bowl podcast you just put out. I'll say this, fans should cherish every bowl win, honestly. Iowa is in Ohio State, but they're not trash either. They're a solid team with solid wins, and the Big Ten is one of the best conferences in football after the SEC, either before or after the Big 12. This is a big game, and nothing changes that. I hope our coaches are hitting the recruiting trail hard and our team is practicing harder. Honestly, I've seldom wanted to give people I don't know a hug so much as I've wanted to embrace y'all after this last podcast I appreciate y'all continuing to do this hard work. I know it sucks now, but it's going to be okay, y'all. In our personal lives and across our sports fandoms, we've seen worse days. We'll yet see better. V for victory. Fight on. Go Trojans. Kevin in Philly. Thank you, Kevin, for the email. Another another long one, but another one. Fantastic that just, one. Fan, just an outstanding email. Uh, I, I will take the long emails uh, if they continue to be this fantastic and, and uh, level-headed and reasonable and I think that's the thing that I like the, the best about you Kevin is that that you seem like a very very reasonable person and I think that um I think that most fans are actually reasonable people I think in general people just get caught up in their emotions and uh, if we all take a step back and look at things from as reasonable perspective as possible I think we we will come to the conclusion that uh, as you've said you know things things have been worse for all of us in our in our lives and uh, this too shall pass, essentially. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, like, I just keep going back to everyone talks about how this has been a, a terrible decade for USC. And it's been a frustrating decade. And it's been a decade that USC needs to get past and a decade that they need to do better than and all that stuff. At the same point, this is not, 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 not the Paul Hackett era. This is not the USC t- uh, team that I grew up watching. Yeah. Not at all. So th- that's the difference. Um, that, that doesn't mean that this is this team is we're celebrating this program is we're celebrating, it, you know, just because of that. But it, I just keep going back to you got to enjoy the players while, while they're here. Um, we, we, we like college football, right? So in, enjoy it while it's here. Uh, you don't always have to be miserable. Um, it There's many reasons to be miserable in life. This this doesn't have to be one of them. Uh, it doesn't mean that I, I'm not saying to just be okay with everything. Certainly not. Um, but um, make make the most of what you got, basically. Because uh, <laughs> clearly the fans are not going to be changing 
Mike Bone or Carol Folt's mind with how they've how they've responded to this. So that's just it. It, it, it is what it is. And to go back to Kevin's point about what they're what players are doing after football, I think it'd be fascinating to know what what players uh, want to do. Maybe that's something that uh, you know after the bowl game we can we can try to find out uh, and see what we can get for you. Uh, let's get an email from Randy at Redlands who asks uh, six questions. Hey guys, a few football questions for you. So let's do these one by one, rapid fire. Number one. With all the speculation that will be in the market for a new defensive coordinator in the near future, I was wondering if you were doing the hiring for USC, who would you go after? If given the chance, would you go after a guy like Charlie Strong? I really think he would be a good fit for both Charlie and USC. What say you? Absolutely. Yep. I would I would find, uh, I've said this on Twitter, look at the head coaches who have been fired around the country because if they are a head coach, chances are they were a elite or very good coordinator at some point in their career, if they're not named Clay Hilton. Yeah, you mentioned that about Matt Luke. I don't necessarily think that Matt Luke was a, a good example for that, because Matt Luke kind of Clay Hilton's his way to the top at That's Ole Miss. True. But yeah, I agree with the point. I mean, Charlie Strong won a couple of national titles as a defensive coordinator at Florida. So Yeah. May allow him the opportunity to prove himself again as a as a defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. That would be it would be a a great pick for USA. It would be the the Cliff Kingsbury situation, right? Yeah, which is what they did last year, which would what's great. We all thought that, that was a great move for USA. That just didn't it didn't didn't take at the end. Uh, question two from Randy: If we part ways with John Baxter, would you hire a new special teams coordinator, or do you hire a new position coach and do special teams by committee? I believe Joe DeForest could oversee it. He was a special teams coordinator at Duke. This is a great point. I would not be opposed to moving DeForest to special teams and then just hiring another defensive coach uh, pursuant to what the defensive coordinator would want, whether that be Clancy Pendergast or somebody new. Are you saying that USC Tim Drevno, Joe DeForest? Ooh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, Giant Anson has done special, special teams, teams also. Yeah, at this yeah. point, I just can't with special teams coaches. Just yeah. Hmm. Uh, number three from Randy: Of all the position coaches that are currently on staff, are there any you would say absolutely need to be replaced, and are there any that you think absolutely should be retained? I think Mike Jinks needs to be retained. I like Mike Jinks a lot. Graham Harrell, obviously, as quarterbacks He's not a coach. Position coach. Yeah. Oh yeah, quarterbacks coach. You're right. Yeah. Um, Greg Burns. I've I've really enjoyed Greg Burns. I, I like Greg Burns, so I would definitely keep him around. Um, I like Chad Kalhaha as an interview. I don't know if he's done a good job with the defensive line, but maybe he just needs another year. I don't know. Uh, other than that, meh. Yeah, I, I think you can make a change with, with Tim Drevno. Kerry uh, Colbert is very difficult to gauge, and that's not a knock on Kerry Colbert. That's uh, how much of it is the the um, the foundation that T. Martin left at receivers and all the talent that, that is there. It's difficult to know how good of a coach Kerry Colbert is. I'd love to know how good of a coach Kerry Colbert. Is. He might be great. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I, we need we need to see more. At the in, uh, the, Drevno, in the least, I, 
I haven't seen anything from Kerry Colbert that makes me think from from a wide receiver perspective that makes me think that USC needs to go find a better wide receiver coach. Absolutely. 100%. There's no reason to at all. Yeah. You're right. Uh, now, in terms of Drevno, if, if I'm the head coach, I move out on Drevno. I go find an offensive line coach that works with an air raid. Yeah. Go find the next Bill Bedenbaugh. Yeah. That would be. That, or would be Bill Bedenbaugh himself. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Randy also says, do you have any information on the stand status of linebacker uh, Taylor Katoa? No. Um, he's supposed to come back uh, in 2021, but we will see. He's on his uh, LDS mission. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting because uh, sometimes guys come back and just basically restart their recruitment. So, you know, he could land in a lot of different places. Uh, we'll see if USC still has room for him. Uh, next question from Randy. Are you hearing any rumors of players entering the transfer portal? Nope. We just know that JT Daniels is not. And lastly, Randy says, do you know what your podcast schedule will be this off season? As always, thank you for all that you do. Um, we are going to put out our yearly, uh, survey in which we ask people to rate us. Tell us how, how we did, uh, both here on the main show and over on Patreon my assumption as it stands now is that we will have, you know, one show uh, a week on the main show and then one or two on Patreon per week. It's kind of what we did this past year. Um, will that be the case? Not 100% sure, but that's probably somewhere in the ballpark of what the, the aim would be. Yeah, the off-season shows, we tend to ultimately get into it once... Once the recruiting stuff ends and, and stuff like that, usually we get into a rhythm of, of doing once a week, uh, which just makes a lot of sense. And then, yeah, with Patreon, Patreon is just really, you know, whatever shows we can come up with uh, at any time. But uh, that that's the kind of thing that will s- supplement more content there. But one show a week for the offseason from, from the main side, unless stuff happens, unless big, big, you know, signing days and that kind of stuff. Uh, Slack message we got from Grumpy Oso. If you were Coach Helton, who would you go after as a new defensive coordinator? Former Rutgers head coach Chris Ash, LSU defensive uh, back coach Corey Raymond, or Utah defensive coordinator Morgan Scally? Well, I mean, my first choice there would be Morgan Scally, but that's not happening. He just uh, re-upped, yeah. Yeah, he just got a big contract uh, boost. So I don't think he's leaving. Um. Yeah, of the other two, I don't know. Um, what LSU's been doing with their defensive backs has been outstanding, and I don't know if that's Corey Raymond or something else, but certainly wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, Chris Ash, I know even less about. So, well, the thing about Corey Raymond is, you know, he's he went to LSU. He's from Louisiana. He's been their coach and assistant head coach since 2012, even under Les Miles. I don't think there's any reason for him to ever leave. I think if anything, he's waiting for Dave Aranda to leave so he can bump up to the DC. Yeah. Uh, that would be my guess. Uh, now in terms of Chris Ash, uh, he's, uh, I believe he's currently an analyst with, with Texas. Um, but th- it would be interesting because he was the defensive coordinator for Brett Bielema, both at Wisconsin and Arkansas, and then was the co DC, uh, over at Ohio state. And won a national title in 2014. 
So he's very similar to Charlie Strong that we mentioned earlier. You go after a failed head coach who is a proven defensive coordinator. Absolutely, he could be someone that you could go out and uh, and feel confident in. But is SC going to have the wherewithal of being able to do that? I don't know. We'd have to see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Meh. Pessimistically, see, I'm feeling it. Yeah. I'll believe stuff when I see it <laughs> from USC. All right. Uh, tweet from Kangaroo 30 listening to the podcast, and I have to agree that early signing day is ruining what used to be a great day in college football. What I would like to see is for the NCAA to limit early signees to just five per school and make everyone else sign in February. What do you think? Um, I think that would be a better situation than we have now, just from a organization of the process set up. Um, I just really don't like having recruiting be this huge between the end of the season and bowls. Like I know that recruiting is going to be huge all year round, but like having the early signing period is just messed up the timing and flow of the season for me. Um, so that idea kangaroo would solve that a little bit, but I also think that it's, I mean, it would, it would almost create its own problems. Like it would set up a situation where you just have people clamoring for them to open that up and extend it and extend it from, you know, one year it's five and now it's seven and now it's 10 and now it's, it you know, it's just right back where we are. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. know how you would do that. What would the strategy be? Yeah, I, I have, I have, and, and that's the other thing. Yeah. Who, who do you say, okay, we're going to let you sign early. Only your yeah, early those... enrollees, I guess, but you that you don't need your early and early enrollees to sign because they can just go with the financial just aid enroll. paperwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I what I, I would I prefer. Like the, I like the concept. I just yeah. don't know how it would play out. I don't know the strategy that that would come from it. So the point of the early signing period is allegedly to allow players who want their recruiting process done to just have it be done. Well. Why don't we just like have a national like do not call list or something like that? And a player can put their name on there if they don't want to be contacted by schools, um, except for the one that they're committed to or whatever. And that that way you can keep lines of communication open. And then if you try to contact that player, you get penalized. Like, I know that would be abuse like crazy, but like, I don't know. I miss regular signing day and the recruiting process of that. So. I'm selfish. February is a better month than December, too. So. Yes. Well, for recruiting, yes. It's just a better month. There's better things in February. December has Christmas, Michael, and bowl games. Um, I know what February, February has. has. That that one, yeah. The one day in February that you are referring to is Sign not day, as good yeah. as, say, Nicholas Day, Christmas, New Year's Eve, bowl it's season. It's President's Day, baby. Eh, President's Day and your birthday aren't going to... Aren't gonna, up it enough it, it can't it can't it, it best time of year to have a birthday because you can have a birthday on a shortened week every single year because of the holiday it's great <laughs> I, I recommend it to people ha- that's when you should have your birthdays there you go tell your parents plan them out or plan it well yeah 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 so yeah that's gonna end this episode <laughs> it's been another long one uh we keep doing that so sorry Sorry, we'll have sorry. our survey out at, at some point. Uh, we'll let you know when we do that. It'll either be this week before the Holiday Bowl or it'll be after. Uh, we'll figure that out. I'm going to laugh um, when we get a bunch of survey responses like we have in, in years past that say, like, shorter episodes. Are too long. 
And then we and then we keep up with that for like four or five months. And then inevitably we just get to a point by the end of the year. where We're like, screw it. Two hour episodes. Have fun, guys. Yep. Hey, I like the two hour episodes of episodes of podcasts that I listen to. I'm like, two hours. Hell yeah. Yeah. Same. But we're weird. Yeah. But but you know why that is, right? Size doesn't necessarily matter if you want it hard enough. (laughs) Um. In podcast form, yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you got a final word? Um, the final word is peace. As in, I'm going to try to enjoy the peace of the next day before the uh, insanity of the early signing day. Serenity now. Serenity. Insanity now. later. Yes. Do you even get that reference? I do. It's a Seinfeld reference. Oh, look at you. Coming yeah, along. Serenity now. Serenity now. And then the, the, the final, the second part of it is... Uh, insanity seren- later. Insanity later. There you go. Yeah. I thought it was a different word than insanity. What a, why Freaking did I Freaking Lloyd, Br- Lloyd Braun. Uh. Hated him, man. It's the worst. But, all right. Until then, we'll, we'll, we'll see you uh, next week with a USC versus Iowa Holiday Bowl preview. Hey, hey. Look for that. Uh, that'll drop on Festivus, so which is a Festivus for the rest of us. We're so, also then, we'll planning uh, to do a car cast, a signing day car cast. Oh yeah, so I forgot about look that. Look out too. for that. Yeah. 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 All right. Till then. See ya. See ya. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.